Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of the TBD podcast. Uh, I'm feeling great on this beautiful Friday. How are you feeling, my man? I'm hyped for this episode. We got a lot in store for you guys. Before we get started, though, I want to plug our Instagram and TikTok. We've been doing it the past couple episodes. Make sure to give us a follow on there at TBD Podcast Official. And yeah, that's let's just get right into it. All right, man. I think the first word of business is talking about the second game of the finals. Phoenix takes a 2-0 lead. Your prediction is looking more and more right. Mine's looking more and more wrong. Um, the reasons I said I thought the Bucks were going to win the series were very apparent in that first quarter as they were dominating the paint. And the reasons I said uh, Phoenix is a good team was their three-point. And uh, that was very apparent in the first quarter as well as they hit eight threes in the first quarter, uh, which – it's got to be a record of some sort for the finals. I mean, eight threes in a quarter is quite a quite a large amount. I'm sure the Warriors have the real record, but great, yeah, great three-point performance. Great three-point performance by Phoenix. And um, I think this game really boils down to two men, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. They've just got to step it up, man. I'm tired of seeing it. Every every time I watch the Bucks, I feel like there's two different teams. There's the Bucks when Middleton and Holiday play well. There's the Bucks when they don't play well. And uh, one of those teams is good enough to win the NBA Finals, and the other one of those teams is getting ready to get swept. Yeah, for, for sure, for sure. And, I mean, when you look at it, the, the beginning of the game, the Bucks looked solid. They were up by three at the end of the first quarter, and the first 16 of their first 18 shots or points was in the paint. And, um, the like you said, the Suns, they hit eight threes in the first quarter, and we talked about – playing and how they've been hitting the three ball. They've been hitting the three ball very well. They, they've been doing it all series long. The first two games were terrific. They had guys like Mikel Bridges step up. I don't know how many points he had for sure. I think he had like 27. I think he, he played like really well. And then they had guys like, like Cam Johnson off the bench that we've been talking about, just guys that can hit the three ball. But then, like you said, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, I mean, they, they shot so bad. And it's just so sad to see Giannis – put up a terrific performance off the hyperextended knee still, and he's still able to go out there and drop and really produce for his team. And then you got guys like Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton who have just not been performing. They've been showing so much inconsistency. And it's just sad to see because the Bucks are such a great team when, when they move the ball around. We've talked about it. Isolation ball is something that Budenholzer loves. And it's, it's just it's, – it's not working. It's it's not working, so I think adjustments need to be made. They are heading back to Milwaukee. We might be able to see some some something special, but like it's just not really working out what what they got going on, and they need to make some serious adjustments. I mean, yeah, uh, I mentioned this last episode, and if uh, things keep going this way, I'll probably mention it again next episode. Uh, Chris Middleton seems to just take every shot that he can. Uh, there's a lot yeah, of shots. For sure. That he takes, and I, I just think to myself, like, why, why did he shoot that? There was still 15 seconds left on the shot clock. He had open teammates, and there's a hand in his face. I don't, why did he feel the need to take that shot? A lot of times, it's just ill-advised decisions by Middleton. Maybe he's listening to Kendrick Perkins, thinks he's the Batman of that team, but um, he needs to be listening to this podcast so he can learn how to play the game in a more intelligent fashion and help his team get some wins. I mean, Chris Middleton's got all the talent in the world, so if he starts playing smarter and getting up better shots, I think he'll uh, they'll start falling for him and he'll start playing better basketball, and the Bucks as a whole will start being a better team. And then Holiday, 
Uh, I don't think he's necessarily taking uh, poor shots like Milton, but it's just not falling for him right now. He needs yeah. to be in the gym, getting shots up, uh, getting back into his rhythm. I mean, he missed a couple of point blank layups last game, which yeah, we were talking about that. Uh, yeah, um, obviously the Bucks are used to guys missing point blank layups. They had Brandon Knight on that team for a little while, but uh, that wasn't in the NBA Finals. So this is different. You wanna you wanna see your guy Drew Holiday, a former All Star back in his Philly days, and uh, he's arguably still in his prime today. Uh, step it up. Make his layups, make some threes, hit some mid ranges. But uh, at least for Drew Holiday, you can't say he's still uh, been elite on the other side of the ball. And then one one play that really uh, captured what this series has been so far is when Drew Holiday is a yeah. great chase down block. I was going to mention and, uh, that terrific block. Yeah, it goes straight back to Aiden for a wide open dunk because Drew Holiday was the only guy who uh, got back on defense and. Uh, Giannis wasn't in the game at the time. I'm sure he would have got back also. He's shown some heart. But uh, those are really the only two guys on this team who have shown a lot of heart. I'll also say uh, Pat Connaughton, who's been working hard. But, you know, I've seen I've seen some soft plays by guys like Middleton. Middleton will miss a shot and not get back on defense. Uh, Lopez, even at times, looks like he's out of it. He hasn't had a terrible series, but at times uh, he's not playing it the way he should. I mean, he's got a big matchup DeAndre Ayton, where uh, he's going to be extremely important to this series because if you can help neutralize DeAndre Ayton, you're help, helping neutralize uh, Phoenix basically their entire interior game. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, back to the Drew Holiday play, I mean, this was a terrific block. Like, this was a this was a play that it looked like Devin Booker had a wide-open look, just an easy dunk, and Drew Holiday goes out and he makes an outstanding chase-down block. And then you really look – if Drew Holiday, if I was looking at in Drew Holiday's eyes, he literally turns around and it's Bryn Forbes who was guarding. There was a there it was a three on one at the time, so Bryn Forbes covered the outside man. I want to say it was campaign. I'm not for sure. And then you just got DeAndre Aiden sitting there just to clean up the wide open look. So it just comes down to who wants it more. And right now it looks like the Suns want it more. The Suns are out there playing, and like you said, I mean Drew Holiday, he took a lot of shots at the very beginning of the game. I think he was up to like 12 shots at like the eight-minute mark of the second quarter. So he was taking a lot of shots. And they weren't falling for him, obviously, like we said, seven for 21. But eventually they're going to fall. You just got to keep shooting those. But then when you're a guy like Chris Middleton, you're dropping 11 points in the NBA Finals, shooting five for 16. I mean, that's just not going to cut it. He's meant to be a shooter, and he's making the same amount of threes as Giannis did that that game. So, like, it doesn't it doesn't really make sense to me. And then another thing I wanted to pick up on was the free throw game. Something that we talked about with our guest last episode, the the Bucks still there was a couple calls where I thought, oh my gosh, the Bucks need to be going to the line. They didn't, yet they still found a way to go to the line. But still, yet again, only three people go to the line, and it was Jeff Teague, Drew Holiday, and Giannis, and they took twenty three free throws, and Giannis took eighteen of them. That is that is crazy to me. Giannis is taking eighteen free throws, and he made eleven of them. I mean, give him props. He did airball. I know we were talking about that during the game, Hayden. He airballed another free throw, but I think it's just a mentality thing at the end of the day. They were able to get to the free throw line. Giannis dropping 42 was outstanding. And then on the Suns end of things, they were able to get to the free throw line too. Mikel Bridges went there four times. Devin Booker didn't take a trip to the free throw line, but he was terrific in this game too. I think there was a lot of a lot of ups from the Suns game too and a lot of downs for the Milwaukee's game too. So, I mean, I think this, this series right now, 2-0 Suns. I'm still hanging on with the Bucks and I mean Suns and six, Suns and six still. I'm I'm gonna have faith in uh, 
Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, because they've had slow starts to all the series so far, and they've turned it around. So I'm still going to have faith. I'm not going to say Bucks and Six anymore. I think it'll be extremely hard for them to win four straight, but I'm going to stick with the Bucks. I'm going to go Bucks and Seven. Um, but going back into what you were saying, uh, back to Drew Holiday, he had a after that great block on Booker, a couple of possessions later, he had a phenomenal block on um, DeAndre Ayton that was called a jump ball because Ayton couldn't even get the ball out of his hands, which, I mean, you're giving up about nine inches of size there if you're Drew Holiday. And then also what you're talking about with the foul calls, there was actually uh, one one that was a clear and one by Giannis Antetokounmpo with no call. Uh, he was actually yelling at the ref after it happened, uh, if you watch the game. And Jeff Van Gundy uh, announcing um, the game – for ESPN, actually made a comment about it. He was like, Giannis really doesn't get the calls that a lot of these other superstars do. And I know he shot 18 free throws, but this is a guy who's going to the paint almost every time he touches the rock. And uh, also the Bucks, the Bucks foul him most of the time because they know he's not the best free throw shooter in the world. And they know he's probably going to score if they don't foul him. So, I mean, he's a guy who could honestly be shooting in the high 20s free throws per game if everything was called because the Suns are really not holding back from fouling him every time he drives. And they're going to continue to do that because they're not being uh, called for enough fouls against Giannis and specifically the other guys where um, they're going to have to worry about getting into foul trouble, allowing the Bucks to get into the bonus and uh, allowing guys like Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden, and Chris Paul to get into some foul trouble where they can't play as many minutes as they'd like to. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, Giannis was absolutely terrific in the paint. I mean, he shot – I'm doing the math here quickly in my head. 15 for 18 inside the three-point line. I mean, and I'm I'm majority of these were in the paint. Like this man can literally take it in the paint, and he's not gonna miss. Like I know early in the game when I was watching it, he had he had the first points of the game, and it was literally just that man has the longest strides I've ever seen. Literally from the three-point line, takes two big steps and dunks it. I mean, he's just a force to be reckoned with in the paint. So. This is something we picked up on before, you know, when we were doing our preview back in episode six, I believe. I mean, th- this is a team that needs to utilize the paint to their, to their um, you know, advantage here. They're, they're a terrific team inside. You know, Drew Holly is going to get you buckets inside. Brooke Lopez is a great, a great post-offensive post, um, scorer, but he can also shoot the three ball. Chris Middleton, he's going to hit his shots whenever, wherever he is on the court because he's a shooter like that. And P.J. Tucker, he had a lot of good, you know, in the paint, didn't really look like an offensive rebound was possible. And P.J. Tucker out there grabbing four of his five offensive rebounds. I mean, he was he was out there really, really doing it all as far as the offensive rebounding side of things. So I think for the Bucks to really get back in the series and regroup going back to Milwaukee, they, they really need to utilize this paint presence and really attack in the paint. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% in agreement with you. And um, I think that Milwaukee is going to be able to pull off a couple of wins back in Milwaukee, even up the series. Um, they've been a great, a great team at home, and uh, I think I think Middleton and Holiday are going to step up. Uh, hopefully, they can play as well as they were last year's because I really thought they were finally coming uh, to a turning point. Those two, and they were ending their playoff struggles last year's because they had some great games to end off the series without Giannis Antetokounmpo. But I guess when Giannis came back, they went back to square one. But I believe they, they've been better at home all playoffs long, and I expect to see two good games from both of them in Milwaukee, and I expect this series to be evened up at two going back to Phoenix for game five. That's a bold take. I'm a, for, as far as the Milwaukee games, you know, I, like you said, Chris Middleton, out, absolutely outstanding. In I think it was the game five. 
I'm not for sure in that Hawks series. But this man literally hit like eight straight points for the team. Like he he was knocking them down down the stretch. Like any any form that the Hawks had to try to get back in it, Middleton shut it down. And like you said, right when Giannis comes back, they just step back into their roles and then they're, they're not really aggressive anymore. At, it, they are aggressive. Chris Middleton's shooting the ball, but he's not making them. So I mean, as far as Milwaukee, I think they definitely take Game Three. I think it's their game to lose. You know, all the pressure on them now. I think they win Game Three. But I'm going to go ahead and I think the Suns are going to surprise everyone and take game four. And I think we're going to look at a 3-1 heading back to Phoenix. Uh, it's definitely possible. I mean, it's it's even possible Milwaukee loses game three. And that, at that point, uh, all of us NBA fans would definitely start to get sad because uh, that means our season is, is about to be over. I, I highly doubt we're going to see any 3-0 comebacks. But yeah. – I mean, that just shows how crazy a playoff series can be because at, at the end of the day, it's it's the first of four, and four is not a huge number. So, I mean, there's a bit, very big difference between a 2-1 series and a 3-0 series. A 2-1 series, you could you could say Milwaukee has the momentum back and they're about to take over the series. But a 3-0 series, it's basically over. So, um, this, game three is, this game three is absolutely huge for both teams. I mean, if you're Phoenix, you can't sit back and say we have a lead. We're going to let them take this one. you got to play – you got to play it like it's a game seven if you're Phoenix. You got to put everything out there because if you win, the series is virtually over and Chris Paul's about to have his first ring. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that. It just looks like this team wants it more. We're going to see, you know, game three coming up. I, don't, I think it's, is it Sunday or is it Monday? I think there might be a little break in between, you know, heading back to Milwaukee, but we're, we're going to see this game three. I'm hyped. I'm hyped to watch it. I'm hoping the Suns take it. I love Chris Paul. I know you're not the biggest Chris Paul fan, but you know I'm. I'm everyone's going to be excited if Chris Paul ends up getting his first ring. So we're going to find out. Yeah, and uh, speaking of me saying uh, NBA fans being depressed because the season's almost over, uh, there is something fun in between every season, and that is the off season. And uh, we've already broken down seven teams' off seasons, and we're going to continue doing that with uh, these next two teams we got here for today. And I'd like to start off with one of the more interesting teams in the league this summer. I, I could see them going a lot of different directions, and that's San Antonio. Uh, what do you, you got to say about them? I think this was a team that, you know, didn't – they started out pretty good, and they've just been one of those teams ever since Kawhi Leonard left that have just been, you know, sitting right outside the playoffs, getting in. Obviously, they were in the play-in. DeMar DeRozan was very good, and they've had a lot of young guys who have come in like, you know, Derek White, um, Lonnie Walker, Keldon Johnson this year was great, Devin Vassell, the rookie, and one of the more the guys that I, I absolutely love, I think he's a great player, that's DeJounte Murray. I think there's a lot of questions heading into this offseason, obviously, with DeMar DeRozan being a free agent. I don't see him him coming back. I, I think – wait, is he a free agent this season, this offseason? Yeah, yes, he is. Yeah, he, I, I don't see him coming back. I think his time has come – I think, you know, I think it's time for this team to really hit the reset button because they've they haven't really sucked as far as like really being terrible. But I think this is the season where they utilize this twelfth pick to their advantage. You know, taking a very another. I mean, I don't I don't really know what they go. We'll talk about that, you know, later. But um, yeah, I think I think a lot of questions this off season. I think they really they really try to build around Dejounte Murray, even Keldon Johnson. Because I think Dejounte Murray has a big, big upside in this league, and I think he's going to be really good for a very long time as long as he stays healthy. So I think, you know, as far as the off season goes, I think you really just try to 
take a step back, take a breather. Greg Popovich's time is, you know, it's very limited. He's only he's only going to be in the league for a couple more years. And then, you know, Greg Popovich, an all-time great, is going to, you know, end up stepping out of the league. But, um, yeah, I think DeJounte Murray is a key to this team. And I think they, they take a breather, a reset, and they hit the reset button and, you know, go full rebuild mode. Yeah, um, if you look at the Spurs, uh, they, they really have an absolute um, abundance of assets. They have about 10 solid positive asset players that are on that team. And uh, you don't really need 10 great players to be on your team. It's more about having uh, some elite-level players instead of a lot of good players. So I think they should package some of those players together and try to get a better guy. Um, I do think DeMar DeRozan doesn't really match their timeline, so I think it's best for both sides if he uh, offs the head somewhere else in free agency. But – Depending on uh, how the Timberwolves are feeling about their future, I see a guy in Carl Anthony Towns that uh, the Spurs should be definitely eyeing because uh, that is their one major weakness. I don't think uh, Jakob Pertl is the guy there at center. So I think you make a move for Carl Anthony Towns if it's possible. I think that would be a great fit there. Uh, I like Deshante Murray. I think they should hold on to him. I think a guy like Lonnie Walker, he's shown a lot of promise, but I think he's someone who should be on the move. Uh, like I just mentioned, potentially if a team like the Timberwolves is interested in making a move there, it would make a lot of sense. And then um, I like a lot of their guys, but at the end of the day, they just got to pick. I like Derek White, but if you like DeJounte Murray more, you can move him off. Uh, Keldon Johnson and Vassell are nice pieces. Uh, the 12th pick's obviously there too, which is something that they should look to move if a potential big man comes available. Um, the only – the only perfect big man I really see is um is Carl Anthony Towns because uh I think another big that might be available in Nurkic is just a little um a little old to to be at at the skill level he's at right now to fit with their team. I like a guy like Carl Anthony Towns who isn't the youngest guy in the world but he's still got his youth and he's uh, ascending as a basketball player. He's most people would say he's a top three center in this league, so I like that. And then another move that um, if Carl Anthony Town, Towns is either not available or, say, he gets moved to a different team, another center I could see as a possibility is uh, we're hearing a lot of noise coming from the Warriors that James Wiseman could be on the move. I'd like uh, to see the Spurs make a move there. Uh, the Warriors would get a lot of solid bench depth there or maybe even a signing trade where DeRozan would be heading over there and uh, maybe the Spurs get Wiseman in return. So there's a lot of interesting – things there revolving around the center position because at the other positions I think that they have nice future players I like I like DeJounte Murray as a future one I like Devin Vassell as a future two I really like um I really like Keldon Johnson a lot as their future three and then for the four maybe they look into that in the draft I know there's a few solid guys available that can play the three or the four for them um this year, they actually played DeMar DeRozan at the four a good amount, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. It's not his natural position, but it actually worked well, which kind of shows in this modern NBA, you don't necessarily need to play a real power forward at the four. Maybe you could maybe you could slide Keldon Johnson there, even though he's a shorter guy, because this is this is positionless basketball. It's really two forwards It's nowadays. It's not really a small forward and a power forward. It's just your two forwards. So Spurs have a very large amount of versatility. Um, I could see them staying with this group of guys they have right now going into the next season, I just don't think it's the right play because uh, I think they just need to make a decision on which one of these guys 
or which few of these guys they like the most, and then the rest of them all have value because they're all good players. So move off those guys who uh, they don't see as their starters in the future. Yeah, I think I think you made great points. And then, you know, like you said with that 12th pick, do they want to trade it maybe? Do they want to try to get up into that top 10 or do they want to sit back? And I really I really like them staying at this pick because I'm, I'm looking at a, a draft board right now and I'm looking at, like, players that will drop to 12. Any players in the, a, a, a name that really, you know, catches my eye is Franz Wagner. I like – I like Wagner a lot. I think he's a great two-way two-way wing player. You know, he's gonna he's a combo forward. He's he's a small forward slash power forward. Played in Michigan. He's sitting at six nine. I think he's a great player, and I think it's it's a need that this team would like to utilize. You know, they have Keldon Johnson, like you said. I don't think Jakoperto is the future. Franz Wagner's not gonna go out there and run the center position. But like you said, the NBA is changing. So like, you could have you know hang around Jakoperto for another season. Maybe draft another center. Another guy that comes to mind is that that guy from Turkey. Alperin Singan, you know, I don't really know if I said his name right, but that's that's a center, a really top center. And then, you know, you got guys like Usman Garuba, Isaiah Jackson, Corey Kispert. You know, all these guys are, you know, in the small forward, the power forward slash, you know, spots. And I think Franz Wagner would be my pick for the number 12 pick. I think he's a great player that would fit into this team perfectly. I think he fits into the scheme of things. He's a great two-way player. He can defend the basketball. He can shoot the basketball and he can play great offense when you need him to. And you know he's gonna he's gonna go down there and get rebounds for you too. So like, if you need his height, he's sitting at six nine. We've seen a lot of smaller guys play the center position. I don't think it wouldn't really make sense for him to play on the center position. But no, I like them staying at twelve. But if they were to move up for a guy like you said, Carl Anthony Towns, I I think that thirteenth pick or twelfth pick would definitely be involved. So I mean, you know, we'll see. This team, this team's got a, a decent amount to work with, like you said. I think Lonnie Walker and um, Derek White are two guys that need to be addressed. I know Derek White's on a contract. He's 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 locked into a contract. Not really sure Lonnie Walker's situation, but um, you know, I think I think both of those guys are guys where I think honestly you choose one or the other at this point in time. I don't think you keep Derek White, uh, Lonnie Walker, and Dejounte Murray. I think they're three very great players, but I think Dejounte Murray's your lock. And I'm going to go ahead and say Derek White's your lock just because you're locked into that contract. I think if you try to make a trade, I think Lonnie Walker's the first one out of the three. And I think, you know, package that deal if you want to move it for 12. But I love them staying at 12. And if Franz Wagner drops, I think he's a great pick for them. And I think he's a great player for their future, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of potential with uh, maybe a lineup next season with uh, Murray at the one, uh, Vassell two, Johnson at the three. Wagner at the four, and then maybe they make a move, a sign-and trade with involving DeRose and a few other pieces and bring in a guy like James Wiseman. I, I think that would be a nice starting five for them going into the next year. It would it'd be good youth. It would be a good young team. and uh, It would it'd be a team where I think Popovich is not willing to leave until he has a team in a position where he feels like he's leaving the next yeah. head coach in a nice position. And um, I think for the Spurs, it was – Obviously, um, they support Becky Hammond and they want the best for her to be a head coach in this league. But I think uh, deep down, they got to be a little bit happy that uh, it's it's looking like she's not going to get a head coaching job because I think she might be the, the next head coach for the Spurs when Popovich moves on. Yeah, I think she'd be a, a great fit for them because, you know, she's been in this organization. She she knows how Pop works. She's going to she's going to step in and she's you know, she's been the head coach for the team a couple of times, you know, with Popovich absent and she's done a great job. And I think. She if if she doesn't end up getting a coaching job, you know, I know Scott Brooks is off the board. So that that Wizards, I know Scott Brooks joined the, the Blazers this morning. 
So um, as an assistant coach, so, you know, maybe maybe the Wizards want to step in at Becky Hamlin. But if if they don't, you know, I know I know that Spurs organization is going to be happy because they can keep Becky Hamlin around and, you know, develop her into that head coach job, which I think she'd fit in great for as for the team. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's there's only two vacancies left in head coaching positions uh, in Washington and in Orlando. And I've said on many occasions, I think Becky would be a perfect fit in Orlando, but it's starting to look like that's not going to happen as uh, Washington seems to be closing in on a deal with Wes Unsell Jr. And uh, I've seen some reports that Orlando's uh, having some deep conversations with Penny Hardaway about the job there. So it looks like a son of a franchise legend and a franchise legend might be going to both of those two teams. So that'll leave Becky on the Spurs going into next year and then potentially pops last season. And then uh, I think she might take over after that. Yeah, I think it would be a great fit too. And I think, you know, that, that team, like we said, got a lot of assets. They just need to utilize these assets. They've been a lot of late draft picks. I really think it's time for them to hit the reset mode. I was looking at their past picks and I mean, Within the first round over the past five years, they sat at 11, 19, 29 in the 2019 draft. 2018, they had the 18th pick, 17th to 29th pick. In 2016 and 2015, they had the 29th to 26th pick. So they haven't really had, like, a top, top pick other than, like, top 10. Like, they had 11 last year. They're going to have 12 this year. I think they really need to, you know, take that reset and get a top prospect because, like you said, they don't really have a lot of elite, elite talent. And I think the only way you're going to find that is not through, you know, a top, you know, a fifth, 10 to 20 pick. I think it's really within that top five, top 10. So I think a rebuild is going to be incoming for the Spurs fans out there. And I think they're going to need to get ready because, you know, this is a very, a very top tier franchise. But, you know, you got to got to start from the ground up. And I think that's what they're going to have to do this offseason. Yeah, and uh... I think this will be a huge offseason for the Spurs. I've said that about a lot of teams. I don't want to. I don't want to over-exaggerate and say every team's got a big offseason ahead of them, but uh, the Spurs are a team that doesn't usually make a lot of moves, and I think this summer they might actually make a few and shake their team up a little bit, and I think it's in their best interest to do so. Yeah, I think also another team that – a second team we're going to be talking about within this breakdown of off-seasons is a team that, you know, they're on the happy side of things, you know, not in the playoffs, one of the worst teams in the league at the moment, but, you know, they, they, they struck and they hit the gold with the, they hit the gold medal with the first pick in the draft lottery. And that is the Detroit Pistons off season ahead for them. What are your thoughts on them this off season? I think Detroit's going to have one of the more simple off seasons out of these teams. I think uh, the number one pick, they're not going to shock anyone. Uh, I don't think they're going to trade it. I think they're going to lock in on Cade Cunningham. Um, He's, He's really is a combo guard. He's not he's he's a point guard, but he can play both. Like I think him and Killian Hayes will work together in the backcourt. I don't think that's gonna be a huge problem. We've seen that two young guards who are ball dominant can play together. Uh Garland and Sexton have played solid together over there in Cleveland. And then a more uh well known established one is uh Obviously, CJ and Dame have had good chemistry together as two ball-dominant guards. So we know that it can work in this league. So I think it'll be okay if they draft Cade. I think he'll play well with Killian Hayes. And then I like the rest of their team, too. I like Jeremy Grant. Uh, He's representing our country right now. He had a great season. I mean, a year ago, nobody would have thought he was uh, Olympic-level talent. And uh, he went out there and proved himself and his own team this year. And then you got two great rookies who uh, really really showed – 
showcased their skills this year. Neither of them were extremely high paced. They were both in the first round, but uh, I believe Sadiq Bay was the 18th pick and Isaiah Stewart was 20 or 25th. So, yeah, one of the two. He was a late first round pick. So yeah. two late first round picks showcasing their skills. Uh, they both made an all rookie team. So clearly those are good selections. So I really, I really liked that that young starting five would be uh, three sophomore players. Um, one rookie, and then Jeremy Grant, who's only about 25, 26 years old. So a really nice young starting five that I actually think if Cade is um is uh, as good as we think he is, a rookie of the year level player, and all the sophomores take a nice leap into their second year, I think they'd be competing for a play-in spot. I don't think they'd be ready to grab that eight seed, but maybe a nine, ten seed that's in the play-in. Yeah, I know Adam Silver said that. He would like to have another plan, which I I love as an NBA fan. I think it's a great thing to watch, and I think it's a great great thing for these these nine ten spots, like you were saying, that you know utilize their talents to get in the draft or get into the playoffs. And I think I think like you said, this this is a great young team, you know, considering they draft Cade because Cade can do it all. You know, he can play he can play the one through three if you really need him to, and he's six eight in that six eight. And I think he would combo well with Killian Hayes. And then, you know, the rest of their, their team, you know, they got Sequoia, Dem, I don't know Sekou how to play. Dem, Demboya. Demboya, yeah, they got him off the bench. He he was solid for them. Mason Plumley. I don't really know what the future holds with him, but he's a good bench player if they want to keep him around. I know Hamadad Diallo is off a of contract this year, so whether or not how much money he's asking for, I think he'd be a great asset off the bench for, you know, to return for that team. You know, he, he he's gonna he's gonna dunk he's gonna go out there and dunk the ball. He's gonna get some rebounds for you. He can shoot that he's three ball for you as well. Yeah, he's 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 a very good defender, and I think he is a guy that they might want to keep around too. And I I think that this team, like you said, I think they could make the play in. I really do see them though, just taking another development year. I think these sophomores like Killian Hayes didn't really get a lot of experience because he did get injured, but he didn't come back. But I'd like to see him, you know, you know, regroup himself and just like take a step back and really utilize this as to his best that he can. And um, I see this team taking, taking a, an increase of wins. Obviously I, I see them maybe as maybe a, you know, 25 to 35 win team. I don't see them winning 40 to 50 games by any means, but um, I think they definitely take a step with Cade Cunningham. That's a great start to a rebuild. Obviously Jeremy Grant is a great guy who took a step. I, had an argument for most improved player. Obviously, Julius Randle was that guy this year. But Jeremy Grant was right behind him, I'd say, other than Christian Wood. But, um, yeah, I think this team, like we said, Isaiah Stewart, another guy, like you said, he's on the smaller side, but he can defend the ball if he really wants to. He's a great shot blocker. He can get down and get in the paint and get, get you some boards, offensive rebounds. He's going to score the basketball, too. I think he's a great young center in this league. I think another guy, like you said, to the day. He's a great player, a really, really good guy who can really stretch the floor for you if he needs to, and then he's also a great inside guy. And then, you know, like I said, that bench unit, I think that's the team that the thing that needs to be addressed, but that's going to come in the draft, obviously, with a decent amount. I think it's three or four picks that they own in this draft. So I think, you know, the draft and then re-signings, I don't see them really bringing in anybody, but I think, you know, just re-signing, bringing back your core, and then uh, utilizing the draft to your advantage is really what this team needs to do. Yeah, also, um, I I think they need to bolster the bench a little bit. Um, like you said, they should try to hold on to Diallo. He's one of their only good bench pieces. Um, and then Plumlee, I think they should move. Uh, he's a good player, and I think um, 
But I think they should start Isaiah Stewart. I think he's young. It'd be good for him to get the experience. And I think he's ready to start. He showcased a lot of skill his first season. And I think Plumlee's just a starting player. So move him to one of those teams who needs a center. I mentioned the Spurs earlier. Uh, I think a great fit for a guy like Plumlee would also be the Toronto Raptors. They have a gaping hole down low. He could go there. Uh, if the Warriors opt to trade Wiseman somewhere, then they'll be in need of a center. I think Plumlee could head to Golden State. So I think there's a lot of teams that'd be interested in Plumlee. He's a solid big man. And also he's a little overpaid. So if you're a Detroit, it'd be nice to get him off the books. Especially if he's going to be a backup. He's way overpaid if he's not going to be your starting center. So I think they should definitely try to send him out somewhere. And then, um, yeah, just bolster up that bench. Sign a lot of these uh, veteran players that are um, that are going to play good defense, hit a few three balls for you. Um, and then I think they'll actually be a solid team that will compete. Uh, obviously, I don't, I don't see them being a, a top team in the Eastern Conference, but I could see them, like you said, 35 games I think is attainable. And 35 games might get you the 10 seed, which will get you into the play-in game, which uh, would be some great experience for these young guys. Yeah, another another guy that I forgot to mention that took a really step up in his career was um, Josh Jackson. You know, he had a lot of good games this season. He had a lot of 20-point games. You know, when, te- when players were injured, he was able to step into that role, especially with Killian Hayes missing a lot of time. I think if they can't, they can't work out a deal with Hamadad Diallo. I'd love to see Diallo, you know, former OKC Thunder, be brought back to the Pistons. But if that doesn't work out, they got another guy who's going to go out and, you know, he's going to score the basketball. He's a great scorer in Josh Jackson. I think he's a guy that can be looked at. Maybe maybe he's on the move. Maybe they trade him, maybe package a little deal with Mason Plumlee, like you said. I do think Mason Plumlee is heavily overpaid for a backup. But if that is the case, if they do want to move him, I don't. What are, what are some other destinations that you'd like to see Mason Plumlee go if he does get moved? And what would you like to see in return as far as what the Pistons would be getting back? Well, I already named a few. Um, I think, say, if he goes to the Spurs, I could see maybe um, – Jakob Pertl and a future first-round pick, not this year because uh, I think the 12th pick is a little too high, but maybe a year where they think they'll be a more contending team, so a late first-round pick along with Jakob Pertl because Pertl could be their backup center, uh, and clearly Plumlee is a better, a big upgrade there, and he'd be um, in in San Antonio, and I think that'd be a good fit for them. Uh but like I said, if it's a first, San Antonio should definitely protect it. Probably top twenty protected, and then it would change to a second rounder if not. Um, and then Golden State, uh, they have a, a lot of nice, promising bench guys. Maybe, maybe an Eric Pascal. Uh, he he's not playing as much minutes as he necessarily deserves in Golden State, so maybe he would head over for Plumlee. So th- there's really a lot of options. Obviously, Toronto would be interested too. There's there's a lot of teams that'll have interest in him because he's. He's one of those guys who can really do everything you ask him. He gets rebounds. He he gets buckets in the paint, and uh, he's also a very good, very good passer for the center position. I, I believe yeah. he actually had a triple double this year. Yeah, he did. I mean, he's a, he was one of those guys that was getting high assists as far as the center position. You know, five, six, six assists at times in the game, and then yeah, I think he's a great guy who can rebound the ball and then score. He can shoot the three. He can really do it all. So I think he's a guy that if they do want to be on the move, I think he's the number one priority off the books with that contract. And I think it's a guy that, um, you know, that needs to be looked at by other teams because he's got talent and he's showed it with his Pistons team. And I think he's ready if he if he's moving on that he, he's worth, you know, a first round pick if he is. And uh, yeah. Um, and then lastly for the Pistons, um, 
I think they should also I think they should be very active in the draft to maybe look to acquire another pick. Um like you said, they have Josh Jackson. Uh if they keep Dialu, one of those guys will be expendable, maybe move them for a draft pick. Uh I could see a team that liked what Josh Jackson produces here, maybe still believes in the potential he had when he was drafted uh fourth overall. So I could see a team willing to give up maybe a late first for him. Uh, the Pistons drafted very well last season, so I think they should believe in their scouts and uh, their general managing team for making good selections in the draft. So it wouldn't surprise me if they made a move to move back into the first round this year after, obviously, they have the first selection in the draft. Yeah, I mean, they hold um the 30 – let me look real quick. They own the 37th pick and the 42nd pick. So, you know, maybe they want to utilize both of these picks, either take take a player, which I'd love to see them got, get a guy like um, Austin Reeves late in the draft. He was terrific for Oklahoma. Isaiah Todd even. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of options in the draft, whether they want to draft or utilize to get into the first round, like you said. I think Mason Publi would be a guy to tag along with these second-round picks. Even they can just get away with that, dumping them off into the first round just to get there. I think, I think this is a team that – you know, has a lot of upside for the future. They got a lot of young players to use their advantage. And, um, yeah, I think a big offseason to come. But, like you said, simple, simple, but, um, you know, big because they got the first overall pick in the draft. So, uh, yeah, we're going to we're gonna find out what this Pistons team has in store. Hopefully listen to the podcast because, you know, we gave some pretty terrific points how to set up your team for the future as far as the Detroit Pistons got to go. And, um, yeah, we're going to find out how they do this offseason. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they do, um, and I'm excited to see what the Spurs do. I think this was a, a great episode, two, two exciting teams with uh, big off-seasons ahead of them. Yeah, episode eight officially in the books. Before we end off this this terrific episode eight, we're going to go ahead and plug the Instagram and TikTok one more time, at TBD official, at TBD podcast official, you know. To get to get involved in you know the latest news going on with the podcast, some exclusive content on the TikTok, some sneak peeks of previewed episodes, and then um you know delays and anything to come on the Instagram, and uh yeah the great great episode eight and anything you like to say before we uh, head out Hayden? I mean yeah man uh our true fans follow the socials you feel me and uh if if you guys have any questions about us for the podcast or uh, you just want to give us some support, shoot us a DM. We'll, we'll be responding to all you guys. And uh, peace. Peace.